All right. Well, that's all the stuff that we've got going on there in the bulletin. Of course, it's this happy Mother's Day. And so this pastor is definitely going to give a Mother's Day message. However, uh, I don't usually do that. I don't usually do Mother's Day messages or Father's Day messages. I just kind of teach through the Bible where we're at. So if you're here and you're, you know, visiting special for Mother's Day, God bless you. We are so glad you're here and, and what a blessing you are and how much the Lord absolutely loves you. But this morning, you know, you kind of look at like, where are we going to be teaching this morning? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. We started a brand new chapter in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. And as we started a new chapter here, this chapter is almost, I mean, the title is almost, uh, you know, if, if it's like, you know, a godly mother, this, the title of this message could have been something like the exact opposite of a godly mother um, is, is what the message title could have been. And I just thought, wow, how interesting that we fall on this passage on Mother's Day. But um, this is just kind of where we're at. So if you need a Bible, if you're sitting on the right side of your row, you could look to the person on the right side of your row. They have a Bible under their chair. So you just look over to them, ask them if they can hand you their Bible. They'll hand you their Bible, the, or the Bible under their chair. Also, if you're sitting on the right side of the row, can you pick up the blue soft cover folder that's underneath that? Looks like the one on the screen. It gives you a chance to write down something you'd like prayer for this week, something uh, you'd like to thank the Lord for. If you want to put contact info, that's great. If not, that's okay. Tear it off, fold it, put in the pocket on the left. Hand it to the person to your left. So as we gather all of these prayer requests and praise reports, they get typed up and then the men pray for every single one of them Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. So men, you're invited to come and be a part of that every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. The ladies pray every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. through these praise reports and prayer requests. We've been doing this for years and uh, we're just going to keep doing it until Jesus comes back. So um, the power of prayer uh, it's amazing. It changes lives. And when you hear answered prayer, things you've been praying about for years, and then you just hear an answer, you just go, praise you, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've been doing. And when you kind of get discouraged, you're like, oh, this prayer, I don't know if it'll ever happen. You know what's great? You come to a prayer meeting, you hear others around you that God gives that encouragement to, and they pray, and it lifts your spirits as they're praying. And this has happened too, and maybe you've experienced this at a prayer meeting. If not, I so encourage you to come. You don't even know the words to pray. And then somebody else starts praying and you're just like, God, exactly what they said. That's exactly how I feel. I just didn't know. I just didn't know how to say it. Prayer meetings are so encouraging. Corporate prayer meetings are so encouraging in that way. So here we are, Matthew chapter 14. The last chapter was a very um, oh, disappointing chapter for Jesus. He knew it was coming. He is God. But he, got, he went to his hometown of Nazareth. He got a chance to speak in the synagogue and he speaks and he goes to the uh, passage in Isaiah where it prophetically talks about him. Hundreds of years before he's standing in that synagogue, Jesus is reading the words of the prophet Isaiah. He pauses, just starting to get into that passage and he cr- closes the scroll up. He hands it back to the person who gave it to him and he, and he sits down and he says, today uh, this passage has been fulfilled um, in your presence. Jesus basically said, the person Isaiah was talking about, I am that person. I am the Messiah and I am in your midst. And at that point, people couldn't deny, wow, the words that Jesus has said and all the things that who he is are absolutely amazing. And it would have been great if it was just, if it left it there, but they didn't. They said, wait, 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 isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his brothers, and they labeled off four of his brother's names, and aren't his sisters here with us? They go, that Jesus, that kid that we saw grow up from a little kid all the way to where he is now, 
that's the person that now, and so they started to have contempt towards Jesus and they didn't believe him. And because of that, it restricted what he was doing in his own hometown. There were many people to be healed and many, much ministry to be done, but unbelief has a great cost. And God stepped away from his hometown, if you will, because they didn't want him there. They didn't want him to do what he said he could do. So Jesus experiencing that kind of um, disappointment. We've all experienced disappointment, right? What do you do? Well, the next six chapters, seven chapters of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14 to basically Matthew chapter 20, you're going to see what some Bible commentators call the retirement of the king. Wait, Jesus is going to go on vacation, palm trees, you know, iced tea, sunset. Is that what we're talking about? No, no. He's going to pull away from the masses of people. From this chapter right here, chapter 14 to chapter 20, the retirement of the king or another word, the retreat of the king, but not retreat like he's running away from battle. Just when you go on a retreat where you go someplace where you're just going, I just need some rest. I need to pull away. And as he's pulling away from the multitude, he is going to focus on someone. Who is he going to focus on? His disciples. Those that he has chosen, he's going to pull away from the large crowds and he's going to draw his guys together and the other disciples around him and just say, listen, I want to prepare you because there's hard days coming ahead. He wants to prepare them for his death and his resurrection. And so we're going to see Jesus dealing with smaller crowds, except here's the thing about people. They are going to try to find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, what does Jesus do? Does he go, sorry, stop bugging me. I'm on vacation from you people. He doesn't. And even next Sunday, we'll see Jesus ministering to thousands of people when he was supposedly on retreat or retirement. But he cares about people. He always cares about people. But this is maybe important for you and I, is that there's seasons in our life where sometimes we just need to pull away from the crowd. It doesn't mean we don't love the crowd. It doesn't mean that we don't love the people that are in extended family or extended friends or everybody on your Facebook friends list, right? There may be just some times where you go, you know what? I just need to pull away from that because I have to focus on a smaller group. We are human beings that only have a certain amount of attention and time. And if you say, I'm going to spread myself so thin, well, how effective can you be? Sometimes you have to gather your resources and go, you know what, for a season, I just need to focus on a smaller group of people. You know, interesting thing. I didn't even, this is not in my notes. So let me just say this right now before I forget. And I think it's important to say. So, uh, hey, if we're friends on Facebook, that's awesome. That's great. I'm so glad. Uh, I have been trying to, for the last couple of years, try to figure out a way to not be on Facebook. And here's what I mean. I appreciate it when I can, honestly, I get on there like, um, oh, once every month. So if you're like, pastor, critical question, send. Literally, it could be two to four to six weeks before I even see it. Well, Jim, it pushes to your phone. Oh, no, I took that thing off so long ago. I tried that for like a week and I'm just going, stop buzzing. I'm so glad people are having wonderful meals and are taking photos of it. Like, that's great. Or graduation season, graduations are happening, that's wonderful. Or babies are being born, that's great. But I am one person with only so much focus and attention. And what I started to see myself, it was just like, ah. And then I would get, maybe you've experienced it, the ghost buzzing, where it's like, oh, got to check my phone. Wait, I don't even have my phone in my pocket. 
Mm-hmm. It's a real deal. Yeah. All of a sudden, just, I, I feel my leg buzzing because that's where I put my pot, my phone. I'm like, oh, I got to get my. I'm like, oh, great. I've been. I'm like, I'm addicted. Something's happened. Like I'm on it so much that like I'm feeling it buzzing. It's not even the phone's not even there. So needs to say, I took that off. I took that off after a week. So I don't even. I don't really. That is not the best way to contact. You have a bulletin. The church has a number. My email is jim at teleoschurch.com. Like you could send it that way. And, and I'm really a face-to-face kind of a pastor. Please do not send me a question. This is, this cracks me up too. I'm, I'm totally off my message, but let me just go. I'm already here. Let me just go with this for just a second. Like, like this, just so you understand like my heart, it's like, oh, here's a quick text. And the text is like just a few words. Uh, but it's something like, uh, predestination, you know, uh, once saved, always saved, or, uh, you know, can you lose your salvation? Question mark. Send. Really? Really? It was so easy for you to type in a few words in a question mark, and it's going to take me a small book to answer your question. There's some conversations that are face-to-face conversations. If it's like, hey, we'll see you, I'll forward it to yours. Uh, hey, we'll see you at, uh, you know, uh, you know, 530. Hey, cool. Perfect. Great application for texting. Anything that has to do with the heart or it depends upon a person's reaction and you being able to do that, texting is a horrible form of communication. Use the right form of communication for the right things. And it, honestly, when it comes to the things of the Lord and like, you know, hey, I got something up with my family or what should I do with this? Make an appointment. Let's talk. Because maybe the thing you actually are asking isn't what you're actually asking. Maybe it's something far deeper. So all that to say, where did I start with? Oh, Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, uh, I... I would love to, in the next month or two, um, just not be on Facebook. And if all of a sudden you're like, Pastor Jim unfriended me. No, Pastor Jim just isn't around on Facebook anymore. Um, the reason why it's taken me so long is because uh, our church account is tied into with my personal account. And so it's just a matter of making sure that when Jim decides to step off of that forum, it doesn't suddenly drop Telios Christian Fellowship off of Facebook as well. So that's really the issue. And I just, I'm like, all right, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. That being said, um, sometimes you just got to pull away. Why would I do that? Why would I, some would say, Jim, why would you step away from such a platform where you could reach so many people? I think I can relate with Jesus in the next seven chapters here. Sometimes to be effective, you actually have to pull away from the masses. You can't even hear yourself think. You can't even keep a thought going for any length of time to gain momentum so that you can build on it. Oh, my family, my marriage, my children, my... Eh, eh. Buzz, buzz. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. All right. Anyway, so about my family and it's just, what does the Lord want to do? Buzz, buzz. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Let me send that. Okay. Anyway, so what was I talking about? It's a distracted life. God has called us to be focused. And yes, there are moments where you can reach more people at us for whatever reason. And then there's other times where quite literally the Lord just says, come away with me. Come away with me. Come with me. What about the other people? I'll take care of the other people. You come with me. I want you to focus on a few people. I want you to, I want you to primarily focus on me. And so Jesus is going to do that here in the next couple chapters. He's going to still have interactions with people. He's going to have interactions with his enemies. Because enemies will try to find him out. Haters are going to be haters. He's going to um, the multitude, the needy multitude. They're going to try to find him out. And we'll see that next week. And his disciples who are also needy. They will also be around him. 
So these people are going to interact with Jesus over the next seven chapters or so. But let's look and see um, today as Jesus has pulled away. We're going to just have a side view. The camera will shift from Jesus for just a moment. And it's going to look at someone that we haven't talked about in a couple months. And his name is John the Baptizer or John the Baptist as people will call him. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, 11, Matthew chapter 14. (laughs) We'll uh, start in verse one. The title of this morning's message is dying for the truth, dying for the truth. Let's pray. Papa, as we come before you, I pray that through that lengthy intro, Lord, we don't lose momentum on what your Holy Spirit is doing here. I pray that uh, we would be focused on your word. And I pray for this passage of scripture that has a lot of his history in it. I pray that we would be able to see the point of why it's here in Scripture. And God, that we would be able to relate it to our lives. God, I pray also as we see examples of those that are not willing to compromise the truth, I pray it would inspire us to tell the truth to a dying world who so desperately needs to hear it. Holy Spirit, empower me to do the work of the ministry to encourage to redirect the lost and that we would each grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is on a mission. Nothing's going to sidetrack him, but this story suddenly comes up here. There are going to be a few characters in today's passage. One of the characters is a man named Herod. Herod Herod, which, I mean, there's lots of Herods in the Bible. You're absolutely right. There are lots of Herods. This guy, his name is Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas. So there's Herod. There's Herodias. Oh, a form of the name Herod. Yes, there's Herodias. So that's a she. So you got Herod and Herodias. And then you have John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. These are three people we're going to be looking at in detail this morning. And the thing with John the baptizer, what was said about him, so powerful because he was chosen by God before birth for the mission that he had. He was connected to Jesus. They were connected to one another before birth. Here's what was said of John the baptizer, Luke chapter one, verse 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him, Jesus, the Messiah, in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. His job was to prepare people. His job was to get them turned towards the Lord for someone that was coming, which was Jesus. And John the baptizer's mother and Jesus's mother, close relationship with one another, and they were bonded before the birth of their sons as well. So with all of this background right here of John and his mission, let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse one. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And you may say raised from the dead. Look at verse three. For Herod had seen John, had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, though Herod the Tetrarch wanted to put John the Baptist to death, He feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. 
Okay, just five verses, but boy, is there a lot of stuff going on there. And I mean, if you, you look at like, well, like families like the Kardashians. Oh, there was families before the Kardashians that were like, like the family of Herod. Now in history, you'll hear names like Caesar. Caesar, oh, Caesar, it's a person's name. It's actually a title. So you'll have a lot of Caesars uh, or even like the title Pharaoh. It's not like somebody's name was Pharaoh, but it's Pharaoh of Egypt or leader of Egypt. In this sense, well, Herod, is Herod a title? Well, Herod is used so often it can seem like a title, but it's actually a family name. There was just so many people of this family Herod that were in some leadership role that it kind of gets interchanged with a title. Like, who's that person? That person has a title of Herod. Well, they have the family name of Herod. Now, family drama is no new thing. And family drama in leadership of a country of a kingdom is no new thing. And Herod's family tree, we're going to show a, a, a diagram in just a second of Herod's family. But before we talk about Herod's family, I just have to say some family trees, they don't look like trees. Like they start to like curl in on themselves and they're supposed to branch out, but they don't branch out. There's a lot of intermarrying and you just go, wait, what is going on? That's if we took this family tree and went out really far, it just starts to turn in on itself uh, in both literally and then in more figurative ways with their relationships as well. But here's a little bit of Herod's family tree. If we have this um, graphic, you can see there's a lot of stuff going on here. Let's just start off with the very top. The blue box or dark uh, uh, box at the top there. Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Who is Herod the Great? Well, he was the governor of Galilee and... He was also given the title of king of the Jews, given that title by Rome. Now, Rome had no problem when they would conquer a place. They would find locals and put them in these positions. That way, the culture and all those things would they would still allow the culture to continue as long as you paid Rome and as long as you weren't disobedient. And so Herod the Great was not just the governor of Galilee, but he went by the title King of the Jews. That is the Herod that, try, that, that put out the order, the massacre of the innocents, who ordered that every child, every male child, two years old and younger would be murdered. That was Herod the Great. I want, and that's not the Herod we're talking about here. That is the father of the Herod that we're talking about this morning. And I just wanted you to know like, what kind of a dad this guy had. This guy's dad. Oh, who's your dad? Oh, my dad's the one that killed all the babies uh, there in Galilee um, that were two years old and under. <clears throat> Why? So that he could get this person that they kept calling the king of the Jews. Because he's like, I'm the king of the Jews. There's no other king of the Jews than me. And so I'm willing to kill everyone, every boy, two years and younger. He was married nine or 10 times. Historians are um, not exactly sure, but it gets a bit confusing, I'm sure, when you get up into those numbers. And you have... A whole bunch of wives over there, about six of them over there on the side, two of which are unknown. And then you have four more wives as you go across here. Marry me the first, marry me the second, Malthrace and Cleopatra, not of Egypt, but Cleopatra of Jerusalem, totally different person. And so we're going to look at part of his family tree. We can't even look at his whole family tree. It's like chaos for sure. But as you, as you look at this, the family of Herods here are known for a lot of things. The one that we're going to be looking at this morning is Herod Antipas right there. This Herod, 
take the name, Herod Antipas there, he's the one that um, put to death John the Baptist. But if we go a little further, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other family stuff that they have going on. Um, the grandson of Herod the Great, his name was King Herod Agrippa. We hear about Herod Agrippa because Herod Agrippa is the one who imprisoned Peter and he's the one that executed James, the son of Zebedee. So, wow, the Herod family has its hand in murdering the followers of Jesus. Yes, they do. In fact, trying to kill the king himself. Another one in the family tree, Antonius Felix, a grandson of Herod the Great, um, he left Paul in prison. So he had a, uh, you know, a role there as well. But the person that we're going to be focusing on and the three people that I said we're going to be looking at this morning are Herod Antipas, a woman named Herodias, and John the Baptist. Those are the three. Now, John the Baptist, you know, you serve the Lord, you love the Lord, and sometimes you get involved in people's family messes. It's just the reality of it. If you ever end up having somebody whose uh, family member has died or something has happened, you may be suddenly pulled into a family and then on the outside, you're like, okay, they seem okay. I mean, they have the normal level of dysfunction that you see in any family, right? And then you get to know them and you go, well, no, this is like off the charts dysfunction. Uh, John the baptizer finds himself involved in this family right here. And what was his involvement here? What was it that was going on in all of this stuff here? Well, first of all, this family's really messed up. King Herod, remember I said he had all these wives? He was really known for a lot of things, including not just murdering those that are two years old and younger in Jesus' time, the male boys in Galilee, but also for killing his wives. Ah, I'm going to have to divorce her. I found somebody else that's prettier, just is married to a a kingdom that I want to have more influence over. So ah, I can't, you know, divorce my wife. So I'll just kill her. There you go. That'll solve it. Rather than divorce you, I'll just kill you. And then, you know, we looked at some of the kids that are here as well. But some of those kids, he was also known for killing his sons. Oh, you want to take the throne. Oh, he, again, this, this greed and lust for power, even to the point of killing your own children because you think they're trying to, somebody whispers in your ear, they're trying to take your throne. They are? Kill them. Wow. One of the sons, um, um, Herod uh, Archelaus, Herod Archelaus, who happens to be a brother of Herod Antipas, the one we're talking about this morning, um, dad had him killed about a week before he died, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was dying and heard that, oh, he wants to take over. This Herod Archelaus wants to take over. So just like a week before grandpa die or dad dies, Herod the Great dies, he has his son killed. It was so bad that remember I said, this is all under like Roman authority. They could care less. The Romans really, they're just like, whatever, you're messed up family there in, in, in Israel. You take care of whatever. You're crazy. As long as you pay us taxes and don't rebel, we don't care. But the Caesar that was over Herod the Great, he had something to say about Herod the Great. His name was Augustus, Caesar Augustus. He said this about Herod. And there's a quote here. It is better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because you have a better chance of living if you're Herod's pig than if you're Herod's son. And it's also a bit of a joke because Herod the Great is Jewish. 
he's Jewish. And so the idea of, well, a Jewish person is going to slaughter this pig. And, well, no, the pigs are unclean. They won't, they won't, they're not going to get near him. Exactly. Better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. What a messed up family. What a messed up situation that was going on here. So what is the issue here? What is really the, the, the issue that's going on? So we go to the family tree one more time. I'm sorry that we're looking at this family tree for so long, but it really is. <clears throat> I wish I could simplify it, but it's just confusing. Herodias, when this starts out here, Herodias is married to her uncle. His name is Herod Philip. So Herodias is married to Herod Philip, her uncle. Herod Antipas, the Herod that's in this passage here, sees her, lusts over her, and then says, I'm going to have her for myself. So then Herod Antipas divorces his wife. His wife, his current wife at that time freaks out because she's like, I know your dad. So she's worried him divorcing me means, well, he, he's, he can't legally divorce me that way. I mean, it's looked down upon in Jewish law. You can't do that. You can't just divorce your wife like that. And so she's like, the way he's going to divorce me is to kill me. So she runs home to her kingdom. She was so afraid. He ends up divorcing his wife, Herod Antipas, and Herodias divorces her husband, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas and, Her- and Herodias get married. And, you know, were they really married? They're just lusting after each other and they decide to break bonds with their spouses and join with one another. Now, I have to ask you this question. You know, when you see something that's wrong that happens before you, what will you do? And when you have the opportunity to speak about it, what will you say? For some, and our world definitely trains us this way, shh, just keep your, keep your mouth shut. You don't have to say anything. Um, if you know John the baptizer and anything that we've seen previously in scripture, you know that he doesn't have the personality where he's going to keep his mouth shut. He sees something wrong. He's going to call it out. He's one whose purpose was to turn people's hearts, to draw them back to the Lord, to point them towards the Messiah. And now that Jesus has been walking on the earth for over 30 years, John the baptizer is still continuing to point people to Jesus, telling people to turn from their sins and look at the lamb who was slain. And so then, what did John the Baptist have the audacity to do? He had the audacity to tell Herod Antipas, hey, you're living in sin, man. What you've done to take your brother's wife to be your own, that is wrong. How shocking. But then again, what if you were to say that in our society today? Oh, why are you judging, man? Who are you to lay down the moral law and the moral code? Who are you? Like people can do whatever they want. Oh, people definitely do whatever they want, but there is actually a right and a wrong because there really is a judge and a king overall. And is it an awkward thing? Like, I don't want to say something because it'll be awkward. Oh, I almost guarantee you when you have to address sin, it will be awkward. So how about we just get that on the table right now? When you address sin, it's awkward. When I've had people in my past address sin in my life, it was awkward, but I'm so thankful because I'm so thankful they decided to go, you know what, however awkward this may be, and this may cause our relationship to be broken, I still love Jim enough that I'm going to tell him the truth. But you know what, sometimes God will call you to be that person where you're, you're like, hey, this may risk this friendship, but I got to tell the truth. Like I have to tell the truth. 
I have to say that what's going on here is wrong. I have to say that these actions or this way of thinking or this lifestyle is wrong. I need to share this. I don't need to share it in a way that causes the person to run in the opposite direction because I was so harsh in how I said it, but I just have to be clear and have to be straight with them. And that's what John the Baptist did. Now, all of these things are going on and we have to realize this too. The sins of kings and the sins of rulers, the sins of anyone in any governing position affects the people underneath them. And so this dysfunction in this Herodian family affects the people that they're ruling over. It affects all of those things. So now Herod Antipas, he was unstable. Why was Herod Antipas unstable? Here's why. Because Herod Antipas knew that what he was doing was wrong. Also, Herodias knew that what she was doing was wrong. The thing with sin, even if somebody isn't raised in a Christian or a Judeo-Christian lifestyle, when things are brought up like, hey, this is wrong. Hey, that is wrong. Hey, you um, taking your brother's wife and marrying her, that's not right. Even for a non-believer to go, well, I, I get that. They would understand that. And they understood that this was wrong. And so there's an instability because when you know you're wrong, there's guilt. Your conscience, the conscience that God has given you will not let it go. You will know that what you are doing is wrong and you can try to justify it in your head as much as you want. But the God of this universe, the one who created you will speak right to your heart and go, you know what right and wrong is. You know it. You know, the thing with Herod, Antipas, the one who married Herodias, he knew he was wrong. He was so unstable in what he thought about John the Baptist I want to show you a passage from one of the other gospels about what he thought about John the Baptist. Mark 6, verse 18 through 20. For John had been saying to Herod, quote, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, right? And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. You see, she had a bigger issue with him, but she could not. Why couldn't she just have him put to death? Because Herod feared John. Knowing that he, knowing, knew in his heart of heart that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. Wow. So he hears, Herod hears John the Baptist say, listen, you shouldn't, it's not lawful that you have your brother's wife. And he's just like, yeah, but yeah, but I'm really glad to hear what you have to say. But yeah, but I know what you're saying is true, but yeah, See, that's the thing with this guilty conscience. When you are doing what is wrong, but yet you know it, God will not give you peace. You will not have peace and you will have an unstable lifestyle. You will have an unstable way of living. Later on in another passage here in Matthew 14, verse five, you get some more insight on Herod Antipas. Matthew 14, verse five. And though he wanted to put him to death, so now he wants to put him to death. He was really glad to hear him, but now he wants to put him to death. Wow, that flipped. He feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. So now he's not afraid of John the Baptist. Now he's afraid of what the people think about John the Baptist because he's a man pleaser, Herod Antipas is. Oh boy, when you're living in sin, your life just becomes unstable. You're suddenly going, who am I trying to please? What does it mean? Who thinks what about what? And you've forgotten the most important person. What does God think? There are times where people have come to this pastor and they've been looking for me to give them approval 
um, on this specific topic, approval to get a divorce. They'll lay out a case and they'll say this and this. And so, um, what do you think about me getting a divorce? And I'm like, you will never hear me approve or say, hey, Pastor Jim said that I should go get a divorce. If anybody ever tells you that I said that to them, they are an outright liar because I have never said that to anyone except one person in my life. Who was that one person that I said that to? Happy Mother's Day. My mom. It's the only person I have ever told that they should get a divorce to is my mom. And because of the response and because of how history worked out in my family, I will never, ever propose to somebody that they should get a divorce as a form of approval from me. I won't give it. Here's why. Because when I was a teenager and when my dad was, he was a drunkard and a womanizer and he, he left us as a family and he left the country and he went to India. Um, he left us for, you know, ever since I was in junior high, basically. So grew up, graduated junior high, high school, college. He wasn't around. Married, wasn't at my wedding. Never saw any of his grandkids. And so for me, I just told my mom in high school, I'm like, listen, mom, he's not coming back from India. He doesn't love you. I said, I'm sorry, I have to say this. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love me or my brother. He, he just loves himself. So how about you just save yourself the hassle? Just divorce him. Because legally uh, and financially, he, she was tied up because his name was on everything. And so for me, the smart high schooler, I said, I'm going to give my mom some good advice. Mom, get a divorce. And my mom, with holy fire, I got scorched that day. And the mark still affect me to this day in a great way. She looked at me and she said, listen, you're American. And that's what Americans do. So when you get married and your wife does something that displeases you or just gets too hard for you, you hurt too much because you've been hurt, then you can go ahead and get a divorce. But don't you ever tell me don't you ever mention that to me again. She said, when I got married, there were three people there. Me, your dad, and God. And I made a promise to God. And if your dad calls today and asks for forgiveness, I will forgive him of everything he has done. And then I watched my mom over the next 10 years keep her word. So that when my dad called, or she didn't call, when the, when the hospital called and he was in critical care because he was dying, she booked a ticket that day and was at his side in less than 30 hours on the other side of the planet. She dropped everything to be with him. Longer story, but a few weeks after that, he, with tears, asked her to forgive him for a lifetime of sorrow and pain and abuse. And my mom did not hesitate. You know why? Because she had been preparing her heart to forgive him her whole marriage. Don't ever ask me to approve a divorce, ever. And here, this idea of I'm looking for approval 
maybe I can just find somebody that'll agree with me. John the Baptist was like, listen, what you're doing is, let me tell you, here's the word, wrong. I'm sure he expanded upon it. It's a sin, what you're doing. And it was going to cost him. It was going to cost him his life. Let's look at verse 6, 7, and 8. So when Herod's birthday came, because everybody has a birthday, when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias, and uh, this daughter isn't from Herod Antipas and Herodias being married. This is from a previous marriage. The daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. We don't know if it was a seductive type of a dance or something, but whatever it was, it pleased Herod so much so that he lost his mind. Verse 7, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And some would say even up to half his kingdom. Now, the question is, does he... Bible scholars, they argue over this because they go, did he actually have the authority to, to, to say such a thing? He is under, in fact, under Roman rule. But the thing is, Herod is a Herod. Uh, the person he's married to is Herodias. And this girl that's dancing is also part of the Herod family tree. And so it's a family thing. Could he have transferred some of his thing as a family transfer? Possibly, possibly could have done that. But here's the thing. You've done this dance. This has all happened. And the location of where this happened, I want to show you this location. It's actually on the, it's, the, it's this cover screen. On this um, hilltop right here, you see there's some, looks like sticks that are sticking up or chimneys that are sticking up off the top of that. Those are huge Roman columns, just to give you a scale of what that is. And there's some buildings. Um, this area right here, this section overlooking the Dead Sea, this is called uh, Macareus. Macareus was a fortress that was built. It was one of Herod Antipas's palaces. And so Herod Antipas went there for his birthday. He's having this huge birthday party with a bunch of people and he's meeting up on this hill. I think we might have another one that's more of looking down. Yeah. So a lot of stuff and you have the, the, you can see the layout for lots of rooms and courtyards and all of that stuff going on there. And man, did they have a view and they could watch the sun rise and they could watch the sun set and they're having a huge party. The thing with the customs of that day and age is when they were eating and feasting together, the men would do it separately from the women. That was just culturally what they would do. However, somehow, and I'm sure Herodias had something to do with this, the woman did, she had, um, because she hated John the Baptist, she ended up asking her daughter to dance, to first come in here where all the guys are, and I want you to come in here and I want you to dance for them. And then all of a sudden, the daughter, her name is known as Salome, she gets this request. She gets this offer here. Hey, I promise to give you whatever you might ask. Now you think about this. You've been offered by the ruler of the area, whatever you may ask. Um, I don't know. Lifetime supply pizza. Um, pay for um, me to go to school. Um, give me a set amount of money for the rest of my life. Um, give me authority. I mean, you think about all the things that you could ask for. I mean, if you've been said, hey, I'll give you this. What would you ask for, right? And you look at this. What does she do? She goes to her mom, which kind of lets us know where this whole plot was starting from. This daughter goes back to mom in verse number eight. Prompted by her mother, she said, because mom told her to say this, of all the things in the world, this is what I want you to ask for. This is the thing that's been bugging me so much. Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. See, that's the thing. If you're going to live in sin and you know what right and wrong is, you're going to stop your ears because you can't hear the truth anymore because you don't want to. Or you're going to do what you can to kill the truth. 
you're actively going to try to kill the truth or kill anybody that's telling you the truth, either by distancing them or putting them away. But in Herodias' case, she literally wanted to kill the person who was telling the truth. You think about it, she could have asked for anything else, but this shows you what kind of a grip sin has on a person. So much so that they're like, listen, I know what he's saying is true, but I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of people telling me what I know is right. I just want them to stop talking about it because I want to keep sinning. I just want to do what's wrong. That was where Herodias was. Tells her daughter to dance before Herod and when requested, ask him for John the, the Baptist's head on a platter boy and so all of this is going up i have to ask you this how messed up is it that herodias is going to make her daughter ask for the death of john so that she can continue in her sinful lifestyle she loved her sinful lifestyle so much and she wanted it to be celebrated so much that she was willing to have somebody else killed so that she could just keep living it this is how you can tell a person is unrepentant in their sin is they have no desire to stop Now you may say, well, come on, Jim. Sometimes people are just really sorry for their sin. Oh, you're right. People are sorry for sin. Look at the very next verse here. Verse nine of Matthew 14. And the king, Herod Antipas, was sorry. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to cut your head off. So sorry. You're sorry? And the king was sorry. But look at what a little... um, jellyfish spine person this guy is and the king was sorry but because of his oaths and his guests yeah his guests he commanded it to be given he had to put on a good face for everybody and they did just hear him say hey whatever you want just go ahead whatever you want she comes back i want herod i want john the baptist's uh, head on a platter and he starts to herod antipas looks around at all the people he invited to his birthday party and he's like i really don't want to look bad in front of all these people so john the baptist i'm really sorry that i'm gonna have to have your head taken off now, you know, the question there, you're sorry, that, that's not the same as being repentant. Yes, you can be repentant and have sorrow be a part of it, but know this, you can just be sorry and not be repentant at all. You can just be really sorry for the fact that your decisions cause a train wreck in the people's lives around you, and you see the pain, and you know you're the source of it, and you're really sorry, but you're not going to stop. That's not repentance, and that's not turning around. And Herod Antipas was not repentant. You know, um, in, in Mark's passage, it, it gives another word in front of sorry that I really want to point this out to. Mark 6, verse 25 and 26. And she came immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, quote, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So it tells us Salome, the daughter, ran from mom as quick as she could. I want you at once, right now, no delay. We want John the Baptist head on a platter. And the king was, and here's the word, exceedingly sorry i'm super sorry that me living a life of sin is going to cause you to lose your life i'm so so sorry but because of his oaths and his guests he did not want to break his word to her here's what second corinthians 7 10 tells it tells us about grief and sorrow for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret that's how you know it's godly sorrow is if it causes a change in your life and you actually turn, you repent from what you were doing. Whereas worldly grief, worldly like, I'm so sorry I'm causing you pain. I'm so sorry I've wrecked your life. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Man, if you're gonna be sorry, make sure it's a godly sorrow because you, you are desiring and asking God to change your heart. 
You know, there's other people in the Bible that were sorry. Esau was really sorry in the Old Testament. He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. He was really sorry. So sorry that he wanted to murder his brother. That's kind of like sorry, not sorry kind of a thing. How about Judas? Judas was really, really, really sorry that he betrayed Jesus, but he wasn't repentant. He had blood on his hands. Just think of it. The night that he betrayed Jesus, he was looking Jesus in the eyes as Jesus was washing his feet. He wasn't sorry with any type of godly sorrow. Judas sold out his savior for money. Our world is full of people who are sorry for what they've done, but not sorry enough to stop doing it. That's not repentance. So what happens to John the Baptist? Will there be like an 11th hour, like something will happen, an angel will come? We've seen stuff like that happen in the Bible. Let's look. Verse 10, sorry, verse 10 in your Bibles, Matthew 14. He sent Herod Antipas and had John beheaded in prison. You little spineless wimp. You couldn't even have it happen in front of you. Had it happen in prison so that you wouldn't have to see it happen. Herod Antipas a coward. Verse 11. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And you see where the source of that had come from. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now you and I know that Jesus knows everything. I'm going to show you a map of the locations of where they were, where all these things were happening at the time. And uh, I think we might have this location map. Um, uh, Herod um, was in the south. Um, we don't... Okay, no problem. Um, Herod was in the south in the Dead Sea. There it is. Thank you. Um, Herod, John the Baptizer, Herodias. That was all happening down here in the Dead Sea. And Jesus had left Nazareth, but he was still up in the Galilee region. And even though there's quite a distance between those two, Jesus knew. Jesus knew the very moment, the very moment that his friend, his friend from before birth had died. If you've ever lost a dear friend and your heart gets heavy, just know this, your Savior understands what that feels like. Because the very moment that John the Baptist was beheaded in prison, Jesus knew. Distance doesn't... um, put God any further away from you. Physical distance doesn't. Jesus absolutely knew. And so when people came and brought the news to him, Jesus already knew this. Now, is this where we end the story? Because that is the last verse that we're going to look at this morning. Is this where we end the story? I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of what happens after the fact. So Herod Antipas, what he does, he really thought that Jesus was the resurrection of John the baptizer. When he heard about Jesus, because that's like how this passage started out, was when he heard about all the great things Jesus was doing up there in the Galilee region, Herod thought, wait a second, is this John the baptizer come again? You know why? That's a guilty conscience. I killed this guy. He didn't deserve to be killed. He was telling the truth. I am living in sin. I had him killed, and now he's back again for me. And he's resurrected as Jesus. Well, no, he didn't resurrect as Jesus. But that shows you that kind of what that guilt will do for you. That it, it doesn't, you have no peace and so when Jesus met him, I want you to know, Jesus is going to meet Herod face to face. At this point, does he do like a God superpower punch to the face and just like annihilate this guy? Like you killed my friend. What does he do? Let's look and see what happens. Luke chapter nine, verse seven through nine. <clears throat> and Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, quote, John, I beheaded, 
But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So now Herod is like, I got to see this Jesus. I got to see this Jesus. I got to look him in the eye and see if it's John the Baptist back from the dead. He, this guy is not having any rest. His life is, is just not there. And then when Jesus was arrested and he was being whipped, he was given to Pontius Pilate. When Pontius Pilate heard that he was a Galilean, He's like, I know the person in charge of the Galilee region. His name is Herod Antipas. I'm going to have Jesus go talk to him. I'll take you to Luke 23, verse 6 through 11. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, the same Herod we've been reading about, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he's been trying to find Jesus and see him this whole time because of his guilt. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Do a trick for me, Jesus. Verse nine. So he questioned him at some length. So what about this? So what about this? So what about this? And look at Jesus. You talk about grace and him just, Jesus, his, his eyes were fixed. Were they fixed on Herod Antipas, the person who killed his friend? No, they were fixed on the cross where he was going to die for you and I and the sins of the world. So he questioned him at length, but he made no answer. Jesus didn't say a single word to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas didn't deserve a single word from Jesus. Jesus stood there bleeding, beaten, and he just stood in front of the person who had killed his friend just a few years earlier. And Jesus didn't say one word. See, if you reject the people that God sends to you, don't be surprised if God is silent. Well, God, why don't you talk to me? God's like, I have been talking to you. I've been sending people to you for so long. But if you reject the people that I've sent to you, you are rejecting me. And he goes on here. The chief priest, verse 10 of Luke 23, and the scribe stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Your king, my savior, our God, was dealing with all of this from Herod Antipas of all people, spineless guy. And what did Jesus do? I think any one of us would just be like, look, I've got the power right here. I'm just absolutely going to destroy you. And Jesus is like, that's not why I came. I'm focused and my focus is the cross. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. So Herod was like, you know what? Let's put you in kingly royal stuff. There you go, king. You're not still not going to say anything, huh? Oh, well. And this is where we get upset because we're like, oh, Herod is not getting his just dues. It's always payday, payday someday. And for Herod, he will get his just dues. And what ends up happening to him is his wife, Herodias, ends up saying, listen, you should end up being the king of this area. His name, Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch means a fourth. He was a part of a fourth of the region that he was in charge of. His wife, Herodias, said, listen, Herod, you should take the role. You should become king. He ends up going to Rome and the Caesar at the time finds out. It was said to him, hey, this guy wants to actually even take the, your position at some point in time. And because of Herodias, the woman's ambition, and because it was so wide spoken about her husband, husband, the Caesar at the time said, listen, um, you two, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you into exile. You're going to go into modern day Germany and you're out of here. Never to be heard from again. 
And Herodias is like, oh, and she got sent away with him as well. All these ambitions for power and position, eventually it gets the best of you. And you and I need to know this. A person who tries to destroy the work of God, a person who is actively working against the people of the Lord, they don't live a life of peace. You don't have to be angry at them because they live a miserable life. You don't have to waste your short life being angry at people who are trying to um, derail the plan of God because the truth is they can't derail the plan of God. If anything, let your heart feel sorry for them in the sense of, God, I'm just praying for them. Like they're confused. They are so blinded by the enemy. Just pray for them. And then you keep telling people the truth. I had one more passage for you. Maybe you can look this up later. Matthew 21, verse 23. Jesus does have a moment where um, he is questioned about his authority. And I won't read the whole thing, but there it is. And Jesus basically says, I want you to remember somebody. When you question my authority, I want you to remember somebody. And I want to mention his name because his name is worth mentioning. His name is John the Baptist. Jesus remembers John the Baptist. Jesus remembers every single person who has laid down their life for his name. Jesus loves them and Jesus cares for them. Church, as we're closing right now, um, I am going to have the worship team come up to lead us in a closing song. This is the thought I want to leave you with. The title was Dying for the Truth. John the Baptist was willing to die for the truth. Think about how easy it would have been for him to just go, I really like the skin that is because uh, it holds my body together here. It kind of keeps all my insides on the inside and I don't want to lose my head and I don't want to lose my life. But instead, John the baptizer said, I am willing to tell people the truth even if it costs me my life. The, the reality of it is for most of us, our life is not going to be asked for, our physical life, for us to tell the truth about Christ. So you and I should just really go for it and tell the truth. But even so, maybe for some of us, it will come down to that. And I have to tell you, we have examples throughout the Bible of those who are willing to give even their life if necessary so that people would know the truth. There are people in this world that are dying to hear the truth. They're dying in their sins and trespasses and they just need somebody to tell them the truth. It requires then people who are willing to die for the truth, to tell that truth to them. I am thankful for the people in history before me that gave their lives so that I could, at, at my 20s, could hear about Jesus Christ. Think about all the people that have died in human history so that you could know who Jesus is. I'm so thankful for them. And I pray that for each one of us, we would be an example of that. We would die to ourselves and we would be willing to tell the truth to others. Fathers, we come before you this, at the end of this message. I just pray and I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And I thank you that as the camera shifted just a little bit off of Jesus and looked at John, we still realize that it is all about Jesus. That Jesus, you personally understood what it was like for your friend to go through that for one that you cared for so much. Father, we pray that when we're presented amongst our families, amongst the people in our workplace, maybe in our class, maybe uh, during the summer as we're visiting, Lord, I pray that there would be opportunities that you would absolutely set up where we could just share the truth, where something would be said that would come out that is just so wrong and so against you that, Lord, we as your representatives, as your kids would have the opportunity to say, hey, wait a second, let me, just, let me just share a perspective with you for a second. Lord, I pray that we would be absolutely gracious and full of love when we do it, but I pray that we would absolutely not water down the truth. 
God, help us, help us to be strong and bold for you to a world of people who are dying. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 God bless you. And moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Have a wonderful rest of your day.